Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and canaries everywhere saying, hell no, I ain't going down no coal mine. It's Thursday at 3 o'clock, and you know what that means? It's Tea with BVP. Live from the Michigan State University campus, it's your host, Bill Van Patten, a.k.a. BVP, international superstar and diva of S-L-A. And speaking of canaries, with me are the finest of feathered friends, Please say hello, Angelica Kramer and Walter Hopkins to our Hopkins to our audience. <laughs> <laughs> I have a new last name, apparently. You do. Say hi. Hi, everybody. Hallo zusammen. And we have a special guest with us today. Today is Bring Kids to Work Day. So I don't have one, and Angelica doesn't have. I would have brought my dog, but instead, Walter has brought one of his children to work today. So let me introduce Zach Hopkins to the audience. Zach, you want to say hi to everybody? Hi, everybody. Yay! So there. So we have a special guest sitting in our studio today. So he might chime in every now and then, or he might sit there and just listen. We don't know. Um, well, it's gonna, it's, uh, we are winding down. Do you realize that this is our second to last show for the uh, season, Angelica? It's crazy. I know. Next week is our last, our last show for the season. We're going to do a special Cinco de Mayo Eve show. Yes, indeed. Because it'll be May 4th, and as you know, I'm Latino, so I have to celebrate Cinco de Mayo mm-hmm. because, you know, it's a big deal for me. So we'll have a special. We'll be sipping margaritas in the studio next Thursday <laughs> <laughs> while you all at home are doing what you're doing or at work. <laughs> Um, well, we had a great show last week. Wasn't Blaine Ray fabulous? Wasn't he great? He was yep. a lot of fun. He it was, was fun. Re- really good on the, on, the, on the air. I think it was a great show. So we want to thank Blaine again. We want to thank Mike Coxon, too, for suggesting that Blaine come and visit us on his way. He was traveling around, so he just actually made a stop just for us. So that was kind of mm-hmm. nice. Yep. So, Blaine, we thank you. That was very nice of you to do that. Take time out of your schedule for us. And I have one more little announcement before we do some more chit-chatting. Guess what I brought back from, uh, I was just at Mitten CI this mm-hmm. last weekend, yep. um, which was a great conference. They did an excellent job. It was the first one they did. It was held in Saline, which is just south of Ann Arbor. Guess who I saw there? I don't know. Who lots did of you people. See? Yeah, I, I saw right? lots of people. But <laughs> Terry Weichart from, um, from oh, Ohio. Yeah. So she, remember the episode where we didn't know what a Buckeye was? And so Walter Googled it and he came up with a chicken, a buck. Remember that, Walter? You yeah. found a Buckeye chicken? That's right. And so then we got all those tweets and calls from people hired saying, no, a Buckeye's not a chicken. So Terry brought a box of, of candies, chocolates called Buckeye chocolates. And she said to make sure that these go to everybody. I didn't do what I did with the, um, the Hawaii macadamia things. Mm. <laughs> we're so glad. Actually, he brought them in, and they were still in the plastic. Yeah, I just opened them a little while ago. So they're floating around the studio now. Everybody's having um, Buckeye. So thank you, Terry, for that. We, yes, thanks, we, we Terry. we got great fans and great friends out yep. there who just send it's us wonderful. things. Give, yeah. So we love Terry. She's great. We have one more announcement. We have a special day today. I know. I was getting there, Walter. <laughs> well, you said only one more announcement. I was like, I, you better be announcing that. That's not an announcement. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a fact. That's This is that. Yes. So, Walter, would you like to do the honors then? Go ahead. Yes, I would love to do the honors. We have a very special day today as Angelica's, well, I won't say the number, but it's her birthday anyway. Today is Angelica's birthday. Yay. Yay. And she actually Yay. called me on Monday. Was it Monday? Yeah, yeah it Monday. Was on Monday. And started singing to me because apparently it was my half birthday and I didn't even realize it. So mm-hmm. we share a birthday kind of close anyway, maybe. <laughs> but happy birthday to Angelica. Happy birthday, Thank Angelica. You. Are you going to have any special plans for this evening? No. This weekend? Tomorrow? Not really. No? Oh, yeah. You know, low key. 
After a while, you know, I have to tell you, all my birthdays start to look the same to me, yeah. too. So, you know, you get to a certain age. Not that you're my age, but, you know, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's my age. What's my favorite line, Walter? I'm a year away from Depends. Yeah, I tell you. Well, I don't know if that's your favorite, but it's one of them. It's one of my favorites. So, anyway. All right. Zach, let me, let me ask a question. How old do you think Angelica is? That's a good question. Hmm. He's thinking. Come on, Zach. We only have an hour show. <laughs> <laughs> Make up a number. 29. There you Ooh, go. Wow. Good. Very close, actually. Yeah. Very the good. question actually is, Zach, how many 29s oh, is come she? On. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Do you All think right. she's older or younger than BVP? Oh, gosh. Younger. Yeah, yeah she's, younger, she's yeah. younger. Okay. All right. Well, let's get on with our show here. Um, today, our focus is going to be on how vocabulary acquisition r- uh, relates to and actually probably leads to or is responsible f- partly for grammar acquisition. So we're going to talk about that today. If you want to get in on that conversation, we're going to give you the phone number in a minute. Uh, let me remind everybody that during the show, there is the SLA, SLA challenge question. I will give you the question in a few minutes. It's kind of related to the topic, not quite, but a little bit. And the first person to get a call in with a correct answer wins a prize. So keep your cell phones close by. Put down that tele, uh, that TV remote control. Put down your clicker in the class and get your cell phone ready. Um, the same for the Diva Challenge question. We have that coming up. Um, I'll read that question. Oh, it's a good one, too. I love this question. I'll read that question at some point. You'll have time to pick up your phone again, punch in our number, and say to Jen, who's waiting in the lines, I'm calling with the answer to the Diva question. Please put me through. Uh, and the number to reach us at, Walter, is what? 517-884-4321. Again, Angelica, that's? 517-884-4321. I feel bad making you work on your birthday, Angelica. No, that's okay. That's all right. I okay. love it. Again, Jen is, Jen is waiting on the phone line, so please, please call in. Uh, we have lots of questions coming through today on different things. I think this is a good topic, lots of tweets, but we want you to call in. Call in with your ideas, and even if you're off, off topic, we don't care. This show is for you to interact with us. Call in, call in, call in, call in. Lock him up, lock him up. What? Talking about Walter. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. (laughs) Angelica will be looking at Mixler, and Walter, of course, is on the T with BBP Gmail site. Um, um, So uh, we'll be taking some questions that way as well, as well as comments. But please, please, please call in. I had an email on twithbvp at gmail.com from Terry actually saying, remember to ask Bill about the Buckeyes. Oh, wow. Mm. And you were so good. I, good. I didn't even have to remind you. Know. I'm okay. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and give the uh, SLA challenge. Lucas, should I give the SLA challenge question before I get on the topic? My topics. I got a lot to say about the topic before we um, take questions. Yeah. Why don't call. you give the SLA, give the SLA challenge, challenge question. question right now? And um, hopefully I won't give the answer away in my <laughs> in my talking about it. Okay, so everybody, got your, get your pencils ready or whatever. Okay, it's a little bit long. Words contain hidden abstract features. Verb, verbs, for example, encode abstract features including person, number, tense, aspect, sometimes case, sometimes other things. What do we call the surface manifestations of these underlying features when they appear on verbs? What do we call those? Um, again, ver- uh, words contain hidden abstract features. Verbs, for example, encode abstract features including person, number, tense, aspect, sometimes case, sometimes something else. What do we call the surface manifestations of these two underlying features when they appear on verbs? All right. Good question. 
Okay, so let's get to uh, the topic. Would you call um, that one an easy question or no? Say what? Was that an easy question? No. Uh, well, that is kind of an easy question. There are two possible answers, so I'm going to take take oh. two answers here. So maybe two people call with two different answers, and we'll give out three mm. prizes today, two mm-hmm. SLA prizes and one uh, one uh, Diva prize. Okay. So let me get on the topic before I get to the Twitter press um, and uh, see what pe- some people were saying about this. The topic is about vocabulary, and um, I don't know how else to phrase this. I'm phrasing it today f- this way. How is vocabulary key to grammar acquisition? Uh, And I like this topic because a lot of teachers, and if not scholars, um, but a lot of teachers feel that vocabulary is one thing. We put it over in this box, right, Angelica? Mm -hmm. And grammar is another. We put it over in this box. And in fact, open any language textbook, and what do you see, Walter? Page 32. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be one of those days, Angelica. Uh, It will be, yes. Well, do you open any textbook and you see a section on? Grammar and vocabulary. And a section on? Mm -hmm. uh, Culture. No. You put grammar and vocabulary together. Not Grammar. You see a section on vocabulary and you see a section on? Grammar. Grammar. Yeah, exactly. God, it's like pulling teeth, Angelica, I tell you. How long have we worked together? My gosh. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. So the idea here, you know, so, so textbooks actually separate out vocabulary and grammar, right? And indeed, from an outside perspective, anybody looking at language and the way we talk about things, they do look separate, right? It looks to be the way to do this, right? Because we can describe vocabulary in one way and we can talk about and describe grammar in another way. In fact, teachers do do this. But the ability to describe two things differently does not mean they are unrelated or not intricately involved with each other. I tried to think of a non-language example before I get to a language example. I couldn't come up with a good one, but let me see if this works. Think of an atom, right? What makes an atom? Okay, so talk about hydrogen. What makes a hydrogen atom? One. H. H, Right, it's H, but contains one what? And one what? Neutron, electron. One proton. proton. One proton (laughs) and one electron. Now, we can describe protons and electrons quite differently. Protons have a certain mass. uh, They have a positive charge, which means they spin one way or they wiggle one way, whatever you want to describe what is going on in physics there. And the electrons have a negative charge and they do something else. Um, And they're actually completely different. And they're made up. Sometimes it depends on on the theory you're working with. They may or may not have the same underlying subatomic particles, right? Um, But the idea here is that protons and electrons are different. We can describe them differently. We can categorize them differently, which is why we call one proton an electron. But you can't have that hydrogen atom without both of those things, right? So they are intricate related and have something – one has something to do with the other. That's not the best analogy, but but that's a good starting point for where I want to go. So let's let's actually just get back to vocabulary and grammar. Okay, so let, I'm going to take a couple of simple examples. I have two, possibly three here. And my first two are both related to verbs. Okay. When we say that language is subject, verb, object, for example, like English, right? Walter eats flies. Uh, fries. Walter <laughs> eats fries. <laughs> or like Japanese, subject, object, verb, Walter fries eats. We are talking about grammar, right, Walter? Yes, sir. Subject, verb, object, uh, subject. But note, note this, that words have to fill the spots to be subjects, verbs, and objects. So how do you know, Walter, that when you're first hearing a language, that is subject, verb, or object, or subject, object, verb? How do you know that? Nobody's telling you. You have to figure it out. So how do you know it? Intuition. 
not intuition. What do you have to figure out? I have to figure out if it's subject, verb, or object. Uh-huh. Well, you have and to figure out if it's a noun or a verb. You have to figure out what's a noun and what's a verb and yeah. so on. So you have to tag things. You have to tag the vocabulary items. And then after tagging those for a while in some sample sentences in the input, your, your mind unconsciously goes, oh, this is a subject, verb, object language, or it's a subject, object, verb language, right? But it only gets there by first getting the vocabulary. This is a noun, okay? Um, so, for example, when learners hear in Japanese, taro ga ringura, ringo uh, taberu, which means taro, apples, is eating, or taro is eating an apple, right? Um, that learner is, is tagging the vocabulary. Taro means taro, and ringo means apple, and then taberu means eat. The, the learner's going for the meaning of those things. And as a byproduct of processing for vocabulary, over time, and very quickly actually, the brain goes, oh, this is a subject object verb language. But it only gets there through the vocabulary. So that's one example of how vocabulary gets you. A very simple example, but a very, I think, important one. Okay, Your brain um, does it, but you don't necessarily know that it's doing Right. It, so. You're consciously going for vocabulary and mm-hmm. meaning. And, and out of that going for vocabulary and meaning, the grammar is evolving, right? So each and every word is minimally tagged for how it can participate in syntactic operations. So, so Walter hears Tado, and he tags it as a noun. He doesn't know he's tagging it as a noun, but he's doing that. And then he hears Tabero at the end, and he figures out it means eating because of the context and so on. Um, and then he tags that with the features that are associated with a verb, okay, uh, and so on, these underlying abstract features. Now, let's take a little bit more complicated example. Okay, uh, I'll go from Japanese to Spanish. Everybody knows that verbs, everybody's taken a Spanish class, right? Or knows a little bit about Spanish. So verbs in Spanish have unique, what we call person number endings, right? So Walter, real quick, you know Spanish. Give us the six verbs for the verb tomar, to drink in Spanish. I. Tomo. You. Tomas. He, she. Toma. A we. Tomamos. You all uh, in Spain. Tomais. And then you all or they. Toman. Toman. Okay, so each one of those endings is unique. Okay. Um, And these endings play an important role in syntactic operations like Spanish, right? Because verbs move in Spanish and do things and so on, and you have to have those, um, you have to understand that that Spanish encodes those things. Okay. But here's the rub. How do you get verb endings in Spanish when you acquire them? You only get them because you process the word. So you don't, pro- a lot of people think that you learn the morphology separately and then you make it go with the verb. So I go hablo and oh and I get hablo. That's actually not how you acquire verb forms. What you do is you actually acquire hablo as a whole word and in, it's in your brain as speak with an I. And then you, and then you hear enough of those hablo, tomo, como, all these words. And then you hear other examples of hablan, they speak, and comen, and they speak, and so on. And those are stored as whole words. And what happens is your brain is full of all these whole words with these meanings attached to them, and then these underlying features um, are specified in those words as well. And then over time, your lexicon says, these things are also connected by the O's on Spanish. That O means I, first person singular. So in your brain, you have things connected by meaning and things connected by their morphological properties or their, or their endings, right? But you can only get there if you've stored all these whole words that you've processed in the input, okay? So there's another example of how something like verb endings in a language like Spanish get in your brain only because you're processing vocabulary. 
not because you are processing the grammar separately. And a lot of people make the mistake of thinking you've got to learn the endings and you've got to learn the stems and you put them together and that's how you make language. No, it actually doesn't happen that way. Um, and we've got plenty of evidence for this, both from psychology and linguistics, that that's probably how it happens. Okay, so there's me, two me, examples. I have a question, I have a question, I have okay, a question. Okay, then I'm going to give one more example, but ask your question. It's a good okay, time for so a question. Okay, so my question is... The answer is, that, is no. Would that be the same? Wow, harsh. <laughs> so is that the same whether it's um, oral input or, or written input? So whether I'm hearing or, or, or reading, for example? For, because I'm thinking in French... So in Spanish, you have hablo, hablas, habla, hablan, hablamos, hablais, hablan, etc. In French, say, for example, in a word like mange, you say je mange, tu manges, il mange, nous mangeons, vous mangez, il mange. So four of them sound exactly the same, right. but they're written differently. So would that be the same? Would that apply to a situation like that as well? Um, no. Well, I'm not sure I understand your question, but the issue is that that spelling – because you've got an issue of spelling versus mm-hmm. versus actual phonological entry. Correct. Your, lex- your, your, your mental lexicon has phonological entries, sound entries. That's mm-hmm. what it has. And then you develop a separate system for spelling, which links to that. Okay, so, but you have to have mange, mange, mange in your brain so that the spellings can go with it. Right. That's not the other way around. So, so I, that's, I just wanted to point that out because of the spelling, right. spelling exactly. difference. So, exactly. yeah. Yeah. And that'd be true of language like English where you have really weird spelling things too. Right. Okay. Okay. Finally, my last example, and then we got a call coming in already. Um, some aspects of grammar can't be acquired. They actually literally cannot be acquired until certain lexical things are acquired. I'm going to give everybody a really simple example. Angelica, can you love this? Tell me right now you love it. I, I'm, I love it so much. Okay, I can't even. Thank you. Okay, so here's my example. Simple. You cannot learn to make questions in a language until you have question words. Okay, so for example, here's some questions. Uh, Where is Walter? Walter is where? Is Walter in Wells Hall? I can't make WH questions, what, where, who, how, and which. I can't make WH questions unless I have WH words. And it's the acquisition of the WH words, um, as you hear them in the input, that starts to drive things like the word order. So at the beginning, for example, I might have to get the WH word, and I may wind up not having the grammar yet. I might say, where Walter is, or I might say, where Walter, because I may not even have the verb yet, is. And so it is the acquisition of those WH words that then start to form part of the trigger that the, after a while, the grammar then starts to develop so that you know to do things like in English and sort of do or uh, your auxiliary verbs like is and have, move up, and so on. And so and so there's a clear example of how something like uh, acquiring particular words has to precede the acquisition of a syntactic operation or syntactic structure. So there you go. Those are my three examples, kids. And... So that's what we're talking about today. If you want to get on that discussion, feel free. If you want to ask something else, that's great. But the point is that there ain't no vocabulary, there ain't no grammar. They don't exist separately. They actually are completely, completely intertwined in language. Okay, we already have a call on the line. We have a caller named Abby. Abby, you're on the. Are you on the phone? I am. Hey, Abby, where are you calling Hello. from? Uh, Norman, Oklahoma. Norman, Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the. 
plane <laughs> and the waving week. Okay, 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 okay. Um, Abby, you didn't call him before from Oklahoma, did you? No, this is my first time listening live. Oh, well, great. Good for you. Welcome, welcome to our show. We did have one person from Oklahoma, and I remember that was the the week I asked the diva question about the um, Meryl Streep movie that took place uh, in Oklahoma. August Osage Rush, yeah. There you go. All right, Abby, uh, you're calling about the SLA Challenge question, right? I am. Okay, great. Well, let me say the question again, and then you can give your answer, and we'll see if you win a prize. Are you ready? Here's the question. Yep. Words can stain. Uh, words can stain. <laughs> <laughs> words, words contain <laughs> hidden abstract features. Verbs, for example, encode abstract features including person, number, tense, aspect, sometimes case, sometimes other things. What do we call the surface manifestations of these underlying features when they appear on verbs? Take it away, Abby. Okay, so I think I know the word in Spanish. Uh, flexion. Say that again. Uh, flexion. Flexion. Mm-hmm. Yes, inflections. Uh, inflection in English? In, inflections okay. in English. Ding, 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 ding. Excellent. Yay. Um, there's, a, there's, another, there's another answer I would accept. So if everyone wants to call in with a different answer, we'll, we'll give a prize to somebody else with that. We'll keep that question open, too, in addition to our Diva Challenge question. So, Abby, you did good. Thank so you. I have Yay. a question for you. I have a question for you. How did you yeah. know that word in Spanish? Did you know that word in Spanish before you knew it in English? Or? Yes. Okay, so because you took, um, a, did you take a course on something in Spanish first? Is that what happened? Yeah, I'm in a class called Structures of the Spanish Language. You're in a course right now. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Because in Spanish it's called la flexión, but in English mm-hmm. it's called in, uh, inflection. I was going to say inflexion, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah, there you go. Well, good for you. Well, we're going to send you. Guess what we're going to send you, Zach? Uh, can you read? <laughs> no, Zach. Can you read yep. that title of that book for Abby? Read that title. Can you read that title? Dust storm. Yay! So we're oh, gonna, gonna send a book. Yeah. So my ah. book is short stories and a little bookmark for you. So I will sign this for you, and it will go off in the mail in the next couple of days. Wow! Thank you. All right, Abby. Thank you so much for calling in. Do you have anything else for us before we let you go? Um, can I give a shout out to my professor who told me to listen to the podcast? Oh, please. Okay, there are actually two professors. So shout out to um, Dr. Kristen Michelson and Dr. Jeanette Sanchez Naranjo. Oh, great. I know both of them. Tell them about I said hi, and yes. uh, we're very happy that you're their student and you're working with them. So good for you, Abby. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thanks for calling in. All right. Bye. Yay. Bye-bye. Thanks, Thanks for calling, Abby. Yay. Called in right away, and she bye. nailed that one. She, she, she hit that ball and threw it out of the park. That was great. But we're going to do that question open because I would accept another answer, too. Hmm. Um, uh, if we want. I mean, that was one of the answers I had, so that was good. But we'll leave that question open if anybody wants to call and say, hey, I think you can also say this. Okie dokies. So, where are we? Um, should I, what should I do next, Luca? Luca's supposed to be doing the little board there, tell me what to do. I'm going <laughs> to, should I go to the Twitter press, Luca? I think you should. If I didn't have Luca, I don't know what I would do. I would just cry without Luca. Okay, here we go. Um, these are fresh off the Twitter press. Luca put out um, uh, the question, some questions for people and some, and some ideas for them. To, and we had a ton, ton of comments and some interesting interchanges between people about this and related topics. People just went off on, on tangents on this. Um, uh, so uh, Language Lay, um, I think Language Lee, Language Lay, said something like, the initial, or my initial, I guess he says or she says, my initial thoughts are that most grammar is morphology and can be taught as vocabulary. Syntax is acquired by loads of input. 
Uh, in a certain sense, that's right, because one of the things we're saying is that a lot of this morphology, because the most grammar is morphology, which is the shapes of words, right, are part of words. Um, and so they're stored in your lexicon. It's not like there's a separate grammar component different from your lexicon. There's a separate syntactic computational component separate from your lexicon. But your, your actual properties of words reside in the lexicon, okay? Um, and then um, uh, Mrs. Pollack says, I've been realizing this too. I think she's in response to, response to that. Um, she says no reason to teach verb charts, but Ms. Pollock, uh, Ms. Pollock responds to that and says, I've been thinking, realizing this too. Is all language just vocabulary with a question mark? Well, no, not all language is just vocabulary, but what we're saying is that for acquisition, vocabulary is central into uh, getting yourself into the system and for your system to keep growing. Um, and don't forget, uh, uh, verbs also have properties to them. For example, like a verb like put, Angelica, right? Mm -hmm. How many entities does put need to be a grammatical sentence. What do you mean? How many entities? How many things around it to actually form a sentence with the word put? Yes. Three. Three. So you need a putter, mm -hmm. a putty, and a place where it's <laughs> put. So any <laughs> any one of these sentences is ungrammatical by itself. I put. Mm -hmm. Okay. I put it. I put in the oven. Or I put, or just put in the oven. I, I just, all those in and of themselves are ungrammatical because put requires all three. And those properties you only get through the acquisition of the verb itself, as opposed to something like die, mm. which only requires one one entity, the experiencer, somebody who experiences the act of dying, right? So you can't say, I died the cat. No. Mm. <laughs> um, it's I died, or the cat died, or Walter's looking like he's dying there because he's bored out of tears. Look at him. <laughs> Look at him. Okay. Anyway, so so yeah, so Ms. Pollack, so it's not just all, it's, it, language is not just all vocabulary, but it's central to things. All right. Um, let me take, uh, before we go on with some more Twitter um, comments here, because we've got lots of them, we've got somebody on the phone. We have Pablo. Pablo, you're on the phone. Pablo, are you there? Okay, something's happened with Pablo. Okay, so we're going to get Pablo back on the phone. He's calling long distance from, looks like, from España. So, is he there now? Pablo, are you there? Hello. Hello, Pablo. Uh, yeah, it's oh. connected right back. Okay, great, Pablo. Where are you calling from? Uh, hello, I'm calling from Barcelona. From Barcelona, oh. great. Well, last week we had someone from Valencia, and Something this week from Valencia. Barcelona. Mm -hmm. From Barcelona, good. Pablo, are you actually from Barcelona, or do you just live there? Uh, yeah, I'm living right here in the city right now, and I'm from, well, from the same province, from a city nearby. Okay, great. So, what are you calling about? What, what can we talk about today for you? Uh, so, first, I'd like to say hello and happy birthday, Angelica. Oh, yeah. thank you. Aww. And I'd like to answer the answer like question. Okay, so we already had one answer. Did you hear the other answer? Uh, yes, I heard it. Okay, so she's talk, she said inflections. So, what's your, let me just say the question again for people, and then you can give us your answer. So, words contain hidden abstract features. Verbs, for example, encode abstract features including person, number, tense, aspect, sometimes case, sometimes other things. What do we call the surface manifestations of these underlying features when they appear on verbs? Pablo, ¿qué dices? What do you say? Yeah. So if it's specifically for verbs, I would say conjugation. Conjugations? Um, yeah, yeah, I will say, uh, okay, we're going to send you a prize. We'll skip. That's not the one I had in mind, but that's okay. Too nice. That's what teachers call okay. it. That's what teachers call it, but in linguistics, we would uh -huh. call it something else. So I'm, I'm going to tell everybody now, so we're, we'll put this question to rest. But you can also talk about it as morphology. Uh, both nouns and verbs have morphology, but people talk about uh -huh. verbal morphology. 
as inflection. Yeah, that was my okay, okay, okay. That was my first thought morphology, but right. that applies to many things, to nouns, to adjectives, right? Right, but you could say verbal morphology, see, Pablo, and you would have gotten just okay. perfect, see? Okay. <laughs> la, como decimos la, la morfología verbal, right? Okay, there you go. Okay, so great. Okay. Well, we're going to send you a prize, um, and um, uh, it'll probably be. Um, should we send a wish? Well, we'll just surprise you, okay? We'll surprise you with something in the mail. How's that? Okay. Unless you have okay, a special, okay. unless you have a special, do you have a special request for something? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not really. Okay, we'll probably send you a tote bag and a couple of other things. Okay, all right. Thanks for calling in, Pablo. Unless you have a, you have a question for us. Anything else you want to talk about? Um, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, one question that I wanted to ask you is: uh, Sometime back, I was uh, learning Thai, the Thai language, for a while. Yes. And something that I noticed is. Uh, I was learning like through through immersion, just listening and comprehensible input. Uh-huh. And I realized that when I started getting some vocabulary, for example, I already understood the words for uh, black and for dog. And the, just, the teachers would say black dog, which in Thai would say as dog, black, the same order as in Spanish. Yes. It's actually the same order, but it didn't feel natural to me at the beginning until I actually acquired that order in the in the grammar. Uh-huh. So what I wanted to ask you is, to which point when you learn a new language, uh, your brain is able to like reuse the grammar that you already know that's similar in a language that you already know previously? Oh, that's a good question. People, the debate is out on that one. Some people think it's from the beginning, which I don't think is true. Some people think it never happens. And then some people think it happens at a certain place in time when your system realizes that something resembles something in your first language or another language you know. So um, there's there's actually no clear answer to that, Pablo, because, again, there are other debates on, on the relationship between a known language and the language you're acquiring. So sorry to, mm-hmm. so, okay. sorry to fudge on the answer, but that's, that's the best answer I can give you. Okay. No okay. okay, Pablo, well, thanks. Thanks for calling in. Okay. Yeah, thanks to okay. You. Good luck Bye. on learning some more Thai. Bye bye. <laughs> Take care, Pablo. Bye-bye. All right. I always think East Asian languages are really interesting. Um, there's a lot of interesting properties of East Asian language when you compare them to to um, Western languages, mostly at the at the level of discourse, the interface between syntax and discourse, for example. But that's another question. Or another point for another story, another show. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go ahead and read the Diva Challenge question now, and uh, you should get your phone ready because this is going to be a good one. You guys ready? Yeah. I'm ready. Yep. ready. Okay, here it goes. The fabulous Diva, who's knocking it out of the park on Broadway in Hello, Dolly, Ms. Bette Midler, is also an author. I'm not talking about books written by her. I'm talking about books written, not about her, but books written by her. Name one of the two books she has authored. Hmm. Okay, again, the fabulous diva who's knocking out of the park on Broadway in Hello, Dolly, Bette Midler, is also an author. Name one of the two books she has authored. And I highly recommend either one of these. They're so funny. They're so much fun. Okay. So that's our diva challenge question. Is there anything you don't know about Bette Midler? <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> No, I know everything I about mean, Bette Midler. I met her once. Did you write her Wikipedia page? No, I did not. Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. I'll have to tell you guys, I, this is inappropriate for the show, but I had a dream about Bette Midler one time in Las Vegas. Wow. And she had, she she incorporated me into her show. But that's the... Uh, uh. If we have time later, I'll tell that story. People ask, somebody calls in and asks me, I'll tell, I'll tell the story, but I'm not going to do it right now. Okay, so um, back to the Twitter press. I got some uh, points here about vocabulary and grammar that people were making. Um... Let's see. Uh, 
let's see. I'm not sure how some of the, read some of the things because they're they're contextualized and they may not make sense. Um, let's see. Somebody says here the vocab item carries the main meaning. The grammatical forms modify that meaning in some way. Well, that's true, obviously, but that's that's not the point of what we're asking. We're saying that what's the relationship and acquisition? The, the point is that you acquire the whole word, and the grammatical stuff gets the or endings, the inflections get pulled off later. Um, they're not there from the beginning. Um, let's see here. Um, so Sarah says, the answer might be all chunks, no paradigms. And she says, maybe. And that's actually kind of what we're saying, that, that you don't acquire paradigms. Um, paradigms, if they exist at all, which it's doubtful they do as a thing in your head, they emerge because of the endings that are on verbs that overlap with each other in your lexicon. Um, okay. Um, Let's see. Uh, oh, I like this one. This is so true. This is like this is one of those things that is just self-evident. It's hard to understand anything if you don't know what the words mean. Um, that's not quite what our topic is, but that is so true. It's worth mentioning. It's hard to understand anything if you don't know what the words mean. And again, knowing words and getting word meaning is what what bootstraps you, helps you get into the grammar, and uh, pushes the grammar along over time. Okay, um, let's see. Let's let's stop with Twitter for I come back to it later because we've got so many. Is there uh, any uh, question we want to take from Mixler or from the email, Wally? I have a question on Mixler. Good. Um, there's a group of teachers um, training with Karen right now, and they're asking at the highest levels when students are preparing for the OPI, how much practice of output and direct grammar instruction is appropriate or necessary? None. You can't. You can't. Um, you, you, explicit practice, I don't think, helps for... I mean, yeah, something like the OPI is a proficiency test, which taps, um, particularly at the upper levels. Um, at the novice levels, for example, you can't practice it because the novice levels do test your explicit knowledge. They do. Actually, somewhat into the intermediate level, too. But past that, it, the, the, the communication demands are such that you can't make use of explicit knowledge um, when doing the OPI. And so, um, I mean, somebody from Axel might say something different, but I, I can't, I mean, one of the reasons there's such a big leap, I said this before in the show, I'll say it again, a big leap, I think, between intermediate and advanced, why it takes so long to do that, is because your underlying mental representation is starting to kick in and take over the things that previously were performed by explicit system when you're performing at the novice and early intermediate levels. Um, and so at the advanced, superior, and distinguished levels, you are working completely with your mental representation, your underlying abstract, implicit uh, mental representation, and your, and your lexicon that, and the robust representations you have there. Um, the only thing that might help at the upper levels, but I don't know, this is, in, this is something we look at, is maybe working with some kind of vocabulary. Hmm. Um, because if you know, for example, if you're going for superior and you say, well, what if they ask me about X? Maybe I should review mm -hmm. how what some of the key words are for talking about that topic. Because if they ask me about my job, um, and to you know, and to explain what I do, and to make a hypothesis about blah blah blah, if I don't have words for that, I can't talk about that. For example, so like if I were to talk about acquisition in French, I couldn't do it right now. But maybe if I sat down and thought about it and worked through some things, I might be able to do it because I have the skills to do that in a very general sense but not to talk about acquisition, for example. So, so maybe, I don't know. But in general, I don't think you, you can. So that's my answer. Thank good, you. Good question, Karen, and her, her folks out there. Let me take this call on the phone, Walter, then we'll get to the email question here. All right. Um, do we have Katie on the line? Katie, are you there? Yes. Hey, Katie, where are you calling from? 
I'm calling from Pennsylvania. Pits- Pittsburgh. Pen- from Pittsburgh. Yay, Pittsburgh. So what do you do in Pits- Pittsburgh, Katie? What do you what do you do? I I teach students Spanish. Well, good for you. Are you actually in Pittsburgh proper or are you in the, one of the suburbs? I am. I'm in Pittsburgh proper, downtown. Okay. Can I ask you questions? Are you from the area? I am not from the area, and there's a lot about Pittsburgh. I um, do not know. Okay. <laughs> so, so you don't say things like Ewins and stuff like that? <laughs> um, we, um, people from Pittsburgh do say Yins. Yeah. Yins. Yeah. So yep. when, I, when I talk about Ustedes, I'm just like, it's like yin. Yep. Yin's back. <laughs> when, well, yeah, yeah. when I when I used to when I taught in Texas, it was, oh yeah, ustedes like y'all. <laughs> yeah. So it's the same thing because you know in yeah. other standard English we don't have that. You guys maybe, but a lot of dialects in Cal- California we used to say you guys. Then I lived in Texas long enough where y'all took over, and I can't say. Sometimes I say you guys, but hardly ever. It's usually it's y'all. Okay, so Katie, what are you calling about? Um, I would like to answer. The Diva Challenge question. Oh, great. Well, let me read that question again, and then uh, you'll take it away. So here we go. Ready? The fabulous Diva, who's <laughs> knocking out of the park on Broadway, and hello, Dolly, Bette Midler, is also an author. So, Katie, name one of the two books she has authored. A View from Abroad. Yay! Nice. Ding, 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 Excellent. Ding. And um, that's actually a play on words, because she spells abroad not... Mm. Mm-hmm. She wrote it while she was on a world tour, but she spells it abroad. Nice. Two get different it? words. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. I get it. It's a cute book. Um, great book. Funnier than heck, too, with some great photos and pictures in it. So how did you know that, Katie? Did you look it up, or do you know that book? Um, I, I looked it up because I've been listening to this show for both seasons, and this is the first time I've had a chance to listen live and call in, so like, Planned my whole day around this. (laughs) Well, that's great. Very excited. Well, great, Katie. Well, as long as we have you on the phone, do you have a question or a comment for us or anything else before we let you go? Yeah, I have a comment. Great. Happy birthday, Angelica. Thank you. Happy first half birthday. (laughs) Hey, Zach. Say hi. um, Hi. And what do you guys recommend? um, I know you've been talking about a book that's coming out soon, but do you have something for... The rest of us who really enjoy our weekly Tea with BVP when you guys are going on break over the summer, do you guys have something to recommend that we can check in? Well, let's see. We've recommended in the past. Walter has recommended my book, From Input to Output, A Teacher's Guide to Second Language Acquisition. Um, it's still relevant. It's a little dated in some things. I would re- I would like to refresh it because um, it was published in 2003. But it's still a good, good um, thing to get into. Um, another book I recommend if you really like the L2 kind of stuff with less implications for teaching is uh, we did a book, Alessandro Benatti and I, called Key Terms in SLA, which has key questions and key terms laid out. It's a great primer. doesn't require any background knowledge. That was published uh, by Bloomsbury Press in London. And, of course, my book coming out this, this um, summer. The reason I recommend these books is because um, they're – aren't a lot of books out there written for like beginner readers of SLA and language teaching. They all tend to be kind of scholarly sounding and they put lots of citations in them and so on. And the things, I mean, I write those too, but I also like to write things that just you can pick up and read like you're going to sit on an airplane and talk directly to teachers and talk directly to people who don't, who aren't experts. And so um, that's, um, that's, 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 why I recommend those. But Luca has also put on our website, Katie, and for anybody else listening, uh, a reading list. So if you go to the teawithbvp.com web, uh, website, 
you should check that reading list and see what's on there. Does that help? Okay. Well, good. Yes. All right. Okay. Thanks, Katie. Okay. Have a great You're day. You're welcome. Okay. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks Take for care, calling. Katie. Bye-bye. Was that our first, was that our first Pittsburgh, call, uh, Pittsburgh call in Galicia? I don't think we ever had anybody from Pittsburgh call. Hmm. I don't know. We've had Tokyo. We've had <laughs> Sydney. We've had Santiago, Chile. We've had uh, Algeria. We've had what Barcelona. else? Barcelona. Barcelona. Valencia. But never Pittsburgh. Hmm. My gosh. Okay, well, there we go. So now we got to give, uh, oh, I got to give this, I got to write a book for, um, sign a book for um, Katie. Katie, let me write her name down so I don't, I don't want to forget Katie's name. Okay, all right. Well, good. Okay, so where were we? Oh, Walter, give us an email. Oh, do you want to do a mix or I, email? I actually have a, a follow-up question real quick. Um, this is from Katie, maybe. I'm not sure how to pronounce that name. Are you saying that, aud- aud- gosh, can't do it. Automatization only happens at advanced levels of proficiency. So when you were just answering the OPI question, are you implying that automatization only happens at advanced levels of proficiency? I don't believe in automatization Hmm. Um, because automatization implies skill theory, which I'm not sure is the way to think about language acquisition and language development. Automatization means you learn rules, you practice them, and you automatize them. And that... That is just something that I'm not I'm not quite ready to accept, um, and so I would sh- I personally shy away from that term. Hmm. But what I would say is, um, what I would basically say is more rapid and more spontaneous speech happens at the advanced levels. It doesn't happen at the lower hmm. levels because okay. because the rapid and spontaneous speech requires a very robust mental representation of both lexicon and everything else, um, and so. Um, and so that that that's going to happen at the higher levels. Can you automize understanding, like listening? Um, I don't. Um, possibly. Again, I you know I prefer to think of it in terms of robustness. People think about automization as something's related to practice, and I, I, I robustness means how strongly something is represented in your brain, and the more strongly something's represented, the quicker you can access and make use of it. And if you want to call that automatized, go ahead, feel free. Hmm. I don't. I just prefer to talk about robustness of representation in the head. Um, and the more robust something is, the faster you can access it. The less robust it is, the less fast you can mm-hmm. access it and make use of it in real time. So there. Cool. Thank you. That's all I'm going to say about that. Wally, what do you have on the email? All right. I have an email from Reed in Hawaii. Hey, Reed. It's a while since we've heard from you. How's it going, Reed? What's he, what's he say? Well, he's not on the phone. So I know. <laughs> That's why I asked you, Walter, what's he say? He could be listening. He, he could be, you know. He's got a longer email. He, he goes into some uh, questions about generativist and universal grammar and constructionist versus in us- usage-based views. But the question is the following. He says, uh, as someone who is more knowledgeable in the generativist tradition – would you be up for summarizing some studies that ha- that you have found best explain why grammar and vocabulary are separate? Which, of course, you wouldn't agree with. So perhaps right. that, uh, that well, would not be the no, case. But see, he says grammar. What I said earlier is that syntactic computation is separate. But things like morphological properties of, of words um, and features and so on are not. Mm-hmm. Those reside in lexicon. So the only thing that's separate is that syntactic comp- computation where in real time you got to move verbs and check things in real time? And, but that and that's that's the only thing I would consider separate. That's an autonomous system within within the auto- that's the autonomous system within the language module. So, 
Yeah, so he just says he, he wants to better understand generativist responses to and shortcomings of usage-based research. So he says, please don't read this as a challenge. No, I don't read it as a, <laughs> no, I don't read it as a challenge at all. It's a great question. Um, and um, off the top of my head, um, there has been enough written about that. For example, um, if he wants a starting point, back in 1998, um, Ana, uh, Ana Teresa Perez-Larue and Bill Glass wrote an article in Second Language Research where they talk about why an emergentist perspective, for example, cannot account for what happens with learners in terms of the acquisition of null subjects in Spanish. So that would be one to read, for example, uh, read. Um, there uh, will be next this next year a uh, state-of-the-art article coming out in Studies in Second Language Acquisition, which summarizes the gender tradition and brings us up to date as a state-of-the-art, again, as a state-of-the-art article coming out. Um, by Rumiana Slavikova and Jason Rothman. That's coming out next year, so that'll be a good one. He's going to want to look out for that. Um, I'd have to think of some other ones. There, there's not a lot that do specifically what Reed wants. I think the issue is what Reed has to understand and what he has to do, and people like him are interested in this topic, is understand more about what linguistic theory is. And then from that, you can see why there would be some places where emergentism and linguistic theory would overlap, but other places they diverge. And so like Jason and I have written in places where they can overlap, but we've all written about places where they diverge. So for example, in the Patrick Revershot book that came out in, was it last year, 2016? I think it was, on implicit and explicit learning languages, where the consensus now that's emerging among psychologists is that all learning is implicit, and the same is true for, for l language learning. What we argue, we were the only linguists in that book. Everybody else was psychologists. We were the linguists. And we took a gender perspective and said, if you take a gender perspective, here's why the implicit explicit learning debate doesn't make sense to us. And, we, and so that would help, I think, summarize some issues there too. So there's that chapter in that book. And that book was published with John Benjamins. So there's a number of things out there, I think. I just mentioned three. So uh, if I think of some more, I'll have Luca put them on the website. But So that's cool. a start read. Thanks. All right. That's there a good question. It. I think um, there was a... If, uh, later on, if we have time, there's a question from Steve in the email. Yep. I think that's good, too. We've we can go back to that few. one. Anything happen on Mixler? Nope. Very quiet. Very Mixler quiet. Mixler land is very quiet. Wow. I guess people are or are wondering about this whole vocabulary grammar thing. And I wonder, wonder, wonder. Okay. Uh, no, Walter. No. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokies. Okay. Because I, I hope it's clear what I'm talking about and, and, and what I'm trying to say. That... that if you treat voca vocabulary and grammar as separate things, you miss the point that vocabulary acquisition is the entryway for grammar in all of its, both syntactic processes and morphological stuff and other kinds of things, develop. Um, you, you, again, uh, vocabulary is central to so much of language acquisition. And there's a lot in linguistic theory now um, that's happened since the mid-90s that has moved parts of the grammar into the lexicon, but they're not part of the syntactic component anymore. So um, so it's important for people to understand, I think, that relationship and just how key vocabulary is and how key vocabulary acquisition is. Now, it's another issue. Some of the questions we got and some of the things people were tweeting about, for example, is about whether you teach vocabulary explicitly or not. And that's not part of what we're talking about. And no, there's no implication. By putting vocabulary center doesn't mean now you start 
you know, memorize the vocabulary list and drilling vocabulary and quizzing vocabulary. No, you still have to learn vocabulary in context like anything else. Um, but, but what it's saying is that, is that it's that getting that vocabulary from the input and getting that vocabulary in context that is going to be a cornerstone for lots of other things. Okay, that's enough of that. Enough of that. So, Walter, are you, you ready got? for me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, I have a question. Well, it's a similar question. I have a question from Deb in Phoenix, and Deb says, "Oh, it was mentioned in Actful that one of the pre- uh, by one of the presenters that vocabulary lists are a thing of the past and are not really given anymore. I'm really trying to embrace this, but I need help in wrapping my mind around this. What nuggets of wisdom and advice do you have about this?" And then Stephen asks a similar question, saying, "Is there any role for the deliberate?" memorization of vocabulary and comprehensible input-based methodology. So there you have it. There are two questions for you, similar kind of theme there. And so what do you think, BVP? Um, No. I mean, um, there's research on this too about vocabulary acquisition that um, rote memorization and, and practice with vocabulary in some traditional sense aren't really useful for vocabulary acquisition. In, this, in the traditional sense of just learning words and their meanings, right? So um, there's research that, show that shows that some things are better than others. Um, and I, again, I'm not an expert in vocabulary acquisition. We should get Joe Barcroft on the show sometime or get him to call in. Um, a former student of mine who works in vocabulary acquisition has written a couple books on this. Um, in fact, if I had the book here, he, did a, he published a book with TESOL, for example, on vocabulary acquisition. And another book on his model um, um, called the Torpo model, which is um, his, one of his main arguments is the more you try to do explicit processing of vocabulary. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, Joe. So if you're listening to the show, don't call in and yell at me. But <laughs> there are certain kinds of processing that if you do it, it takes away from the vocabulary acquisition itself. Um, so I'll, I'll let him speak for himself. If we, but we should, we should probably get him to call in the show. Maybe next week I can get him, get him on the horn. Um, but yeah, so my answer to that is, and Steve actually asked another question, Walter. He asked, yep. um, I want because he wants me to clarify something if I remember. That was the only question I read before we, the show started. So, Well, here it is. Yeah. You ready for it? Yeah. As much as I love the show and as much as I love BVP. Thank wow. you, Steve. Aww. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, but that's, that's already I love negative. you too. I love you too, Steve. <laughs> as, much as, as much as I love. As much as. I was deeply disturbed by something mm. that came out of mm. Bill's mouth last week. He was talking about individual differences and said, that in every typical class of 20 to 25 students, you have 10 different learning styles in there. Shock, horror. Although the idea of learning styles has been around for decades, there exists no evidence to show that they have any effect on language learning. Learning styles are pseudoscience, a myth that needs to be dispelled. Or does Bill have any studies up his sleeve to back back up his claim? Well, Steve, as much as I love you, you misheard me. <laughs> I did not I actually said that learning styles are probably irrelevant to language acquisition. They're relevant to explicit learning, but they're not relevant to language acquisition because the processes involved in language acquisition function unconsciously and independent of our conscious learning styles. Um, and so I can go back and listen to what I said, or maybe I got cut off or who knows how it happened, but... Um, I would never advocate that learning styles are central to, um, to uh, language acquisition. In fact, I've, I've talked about individual differences in the past and said it's not clear to me at all that any individual differences, not just learning styles, but individual differences such as working memory 
or individual differences such as, I don't know what, name something, um, aptitude are at all related to um, what we call acquisition. They're related to learning, again, and explicit processing, possibly, um, possibly. But, but there is no research that connects them to um, some of the deeper properties of language and what we know how language acquisition happens. So there. In fact, I've done some research on that. So, so Steve, if you want to write, I can send you some stuff that way. Okay. Um, so thank you, Steve. He gave us two good questions today. So is Mixler still quiet, Angelica? I'm waiting for I a do, phone. No, I think I, there's a phone call coming yeah, through. Yeah, but somewhere. I do have a question here. Um, good. Not sure about the name. There is no name attached to it. Hi, Bill. Uh, Could you please comment? Hi, no name. <laughs> Well, the name is IAS052. Okay. Hi, Bill. <laughs> Could you please comment on the differences, if any, in vocab slash grammar between traditional second language learners and heritage language speakers? Uh, say that again. I'm not sure I understand the question. Let me see if I can figure out what the question so is. So comment on the differences in vocabulary and grammar acquisition between traditional second language learners and heritage language speakers. Uh, that's a big question because... Heritage speakers, there's no such thing as a single or um, a singular type of heritage speaker because there's all different kinds with different kinds of knowledge and different kinds of abilities and so on. And so I, I don't know if I can comment on that because, I mean, there's a whole show on heritage speakers we should probably do sometime huh. and its relationship to L2 stuff because, again, you have heritage speakers who have minimal knowledge and ability. You have heritage speakers who have tremendous comprehension but limited speaking. You have them who are full range, but they have no literacy. You have, I mean, there's all, they're just all over the place. And so to answer that question, you have to get real specific and, and ask. If you're listening, see if you can make a question more specific, and I'll come back to it because we got a f- call on the phone, and then I'll see if I can answer it or cool. address it in some way. Okay. All right. We have a caller on the phone. We have Rafael or Rafael or Rafael, you're on the phone. Yes, yes, sir. Good afternoon. I came from North Carolina. It's about a uh, vocabulary uh, issue uh-huh. that uh, you have explained. I've been teaching for the past 10 years here in North Carolina, and one of my assets is vocabulary. Uh, and uh, I use it a lot and have given me a lot of. Uh, uh, outcome kind of that you know my students have uh, uh, acquired uh, three or more in the VOPT. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know you know it, it has worked for me for the past ten years. Now I got a I got four levels of vocabulary. I got extremely basic. I got basic. I got intermediate, and I got advanced, mm-hmm. which I use it in all type of contests in everything. So I don't know you know that's my. Uh, my nickel. Okay. So what you're saying then is that you're agreeing that vocabulary is somehow central and you think that by focusing on... It, vo- is, it, it is very central. You know, you can have a, uh, a V8 with all the power. You can have it with the best transmission, but if you don't have fuel, ain't going nowhere. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Exactly. Um, and yeah, because if you don't have the right gas, <laughs> in, certain, in a certain That's sense, vo- vocabulary is the gas. Um, okay. For what we're talking okay. about, and I agree with you. Yeah, and in fact, there are um, there are um, certain approaches, like TPRS does this. It targets vocabulary, uh, you know, frequent vocabulary words and so on, and then grows the vocabulary mm-hmm. over time in learners. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and to target vocabulary as opposed to grammar in terms of like this is level one vocabulary, this is level two vocabulary, and so on. 
um, actually mm -hmm. is probably not a bad way to think about structuring a curriculum, for example. So, um, yeah. So, and I, I, uh, I, I like your, I like your, I like your example, Rafael. And I like your success you're having with focusing on vocabulary. That's great. Okay, okay. Well, thank you for thank the you comment. Thank you for the comment. Thanks for coming. Okay, okay, bye. Okay, bye bye. 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 Yeah, there you go. Someone who's been focusing vocabulary and says it's working for him. So good. Um, we don't know what it means for it to work for him, but he sounds like he's happy with it and is doing well. So good for him. Good I for you, a, Rafael. I have a quick question from Nina. Nina, what's Nina's question? What role does grammar instruction, if any at all, play in your language classes, the ones that you teach? Well, I haven't taught myself a language class in a while, except when I substitute for Walter and I substitute for Matt. Or the ones that you oversee. And the ones that I oversee is, uh, plays a minimal role. Um, overt grammar instruction, is that the question? Any kind of grammar instruction? Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't specify. Yeah, it, it plays a minimal role. Um, we have students, students like for face validity, they like, you know, to, to say that they're learning something. So we have them do some stuff from the textbook outside of class, but we don't use textbook in class and we don't use, we don't have like grammar activities or vocabulary activities per se. Again, uh, what we try to do is have goals for the class in terms of an activity or a task we want to get to. And then teachers structure their time to help develop many things, many tasks and many activities that get them to that task. Um, and so grammar and vocabulary are all wrapped up together all the time doing things and there's no focus on one or the other. And she you, did clarify that it is overt. Yeah. No, there's no, for example, there's no class time where you go, now we're on vocabulary, now we're on grammar. No, that doesn't happen. Um, it happens again in their textbook materials because that's the way textbooks are laid out. But they do that on, online outside of class. Um, but our, our tendency is to focus more on um, vocabulary in class, I think, than, than, than grammar per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, except when we want to say like, oh, well, now we're going to, we want to, you know, our goal this week is um, to find out what you did last week is going to tell me what kind of person you are. And then you're starting to move into past tense, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but not as a grammar topic, as a way of expressing temporal relationships. So, okay. So, well, that was a good question. That was from Nina. Mm -hmm. Well, yep. thank you, Nina. That was a very, very good question. A very, very good question as we say where I'm from. Where am I from, Walter? You're from down south. south. Mm -hmm. I'm from, we're from down south. Can you recognize this accent? I'm going to say... Alabama. Kentucky. No, I don't know where that accent comes from. I just made it up. It's probably amalgamation. I've lived in so many places in my life. I'm surprised I'm not speaking a southern accent with some Spanish thrown on and some <laughs> French, and I don't know what else. You've got some Mike Coulds that you throw in quite a bit. I well, that's Texas. I got the Mike Coulds. Those are never going to go away. That's like the y'all. The y'all is uh, so useful. And so is Mike Could. Mike Could is different than, you know, what you might do. You might do and what you might could do are two different things to me. So very useful. Huh. It's interesting. Yeah, Weird. so talk to a Texan. I'll explain it to you. <laughs> I tell you, there's a reason that it exists. Languages are not willy-nilly. Languages they they don't like, they don't like exceptions, and they 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 do things for certain reasons. All right, time. To, oh my God, look at the time, you kids. We only had a minute and a half left. I got to do the wrap up, the acknowledgments. All right. Well, this is a great show. Thanks for everybody for calling in. Uh, we want to thank our technical producer, Daniel Trago, who's going to have some sound effects real soon. Yay. Uh, our media producer, Luca Giapponi. Thank you, Luca, for all the tweets today and stuff. Yay. Our talented and trusty intern, Jennifer Lee, who's there handling the phones and doing things. Thank you, Jennifer, for all your work. Uh, we want to thank our... Uh, our muscle man, Dustin, who's back there doing things. Dustin DeFelice is always back there doing something. He used to do our phones, but now he's doing other things. We want to thank a College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University, especially our dean, Christopher Long. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters. 
any of our sponsors or any other official entity of Michigan State University. And if you don't like it, you can blame Walter and Angelica. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course, we thank all of our listeners out there and especially the people who called in today. Thank you for calling in and making our show interactive. We'll be back next week at the same time. Remember, it's our last show of the season, so get your calls in. It's your last chance to talk to us. Until May 4th, which is Cinco de Mayo Eve, have a great weekend and happy second language acquisition to everybody. Say goodbye, kids. Auf Wiedersehen. Bye-bye. Bye. Zach, say goodbye, Zach. Say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Oh, that's Awesome. Great. You were such a good sport today, Zach. He's been good. Well done. He's great. Talk to you next week.